Our Father, we come to you, our loving Heavenly Father, and we come to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our elder brother, our best friend, and our intercessor. We need your help to be like you so that our kids can learn to be like you and be used by you to hasten your coming, finish the work. And we just pray now that your spirit will fill us, bring all our minds into captivity that we can hear you talking to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had lots of time just before I got here to think. <laughs> I had an hour, unexpected hour to get here. And it was good. Um, since last night and this morning, um, I have realized the importance of going back and reviewing what we learned yesterday some. Because when I asked my husband, do you remember, remember what I said? And he said, I don't remember that. <laughs> and I thought, oh, you have to review when you teach. You got to say it, and then explain it, then say it, then test it, and use it. So you can't just say it once. So. I wanted to just review the four, maybe it was three things that we went over yesterday when we looked at the life of Christ. That's extremely important to lay this foundation to build those beautiful characters in our children to be like Jesus. We want to educate them, but there's more than just facts. We want them to have a desire to learn and to have God's wisdom and to become useful. So we stated yesterday that Jesus was in the country home, needed to be in a country home, but he was not in that ideal place. But Jesus wants us to aim for that ideal home for our children. And um, I just wanted to add, as I was thinking about that ideal home, Satan, we know, has done everything to fill our minds with noise and sound, all the technology, we know that. And even I, who love nature, I was thinking when I get in the car, once the kids left home, I would turn on the radio, and I listened to a good religious station, listened to a preacher, listened to music. But since studying for this um, talk the last four months, I have been looking at the life of Jesus, the beginning life, the end life. And it dawned on me when I get in the car, I just want to talk to the Lord, just sort of meditate on those thoughts that I've had and not quickly turn on that radio. And that's the same concept when we are putting ourselves in nature where we don't see our neighbors, we don't see other people to distract the thoughts. It's not that we, want it, we are not wanting to be neighborly, but we, we're, our world is just so full of noise. You can't hear God's voices effectively. And God can intervene in that, but 
for our children especially, we want to be sure we watch their environment, not to shelter them, but to help them hear God's voice. Um, when we supposedly had a country home, we had a neighbor on one side. All the other side was country. It was a beautiful pasture. You could see the mountains. But we had a neighbor, and they had little kids. And we had big kids. And we had a playhouse. And so those neighbors, I remember, would come over to our house when we were having worship in the morning. We had a nice porch with French doors down to the ground. And they would peek in the window at us when we were having worship. Can Trish and Dawn come out to play? So that was always a distraction. And I look back and say, oh, we thought we were in the country. And then my daughters babysat them. And mistakenly, I allowed my daughters to go to their house to babysit instead of coming to my house. So their house looked different than our house. And I just want to make that point that it's very important to surround your children with nature and nothing that will distract. And the same with our schools. Okay, so country home. And the second thing we went over was associations, which was the reason for the country home, one of them. And really want to emphasize those associations. That's a very difficult one when you're a parent. We're all social. We parents want to socialize with other adults when we're together with families. And it really takes self-discipline to have a focus on your children during that time and not let the children be with the children. You are right with the children. Um, children are good, can be good, but they're still children. I see Carrie nodding. <laughs> um, you know, those conversations, they just, I have a hard time, especially on Sabbath, with my conversations with other adults. And kids will have a harder time. So parents, just remember, it's a hard road. I was talking to my daughter about friendship because she had a very hard time having a best friend. And she said, Mom, it wasn't so much there weren't friends. They didn't have the same values. Well, that's hard for a kid. Um, you, you're wanting those friendships. And it was very hard. You just have to prayerfully go through that. Um, and the third thing, country home, associations. Um, his parents took time to teach Jesus the laws and the sacred history. That time, parents, that worship time, morning and evening, no matter what, seven days a week. I know as I've been preparing for these talks, the last three nights I've thought, oh, Lonnie and I didn't have time for worship. Quick prayer. Oh, so I can't believe that. You know, it just takes a discipline of constant discipline, but um, God can give that to us. And I know Jesus, when he was in the busiest time of his life in ministry, he would get up a great deal before dawn 
And he would stay up after his disciples probably fell asleep. And maybe one just has to pray, Lord, you know the busyness of my schedule. You know I need sleep. Just awaken me. You know what I need. You could give yourself two hours, and maybe one hour would be adequate or half an hour, you know. Just pray the Lord will awaken you and give you the time you need. And if that's your desire, I know he'll honor that. So we have a country home. We have, we're watching associations, and we're getting the time with the Lord. And the fourth thing we were covering was teaching that self-discipline, that um, self-control of the child, that self-government of the child. And I have no idea what Beatrice covered this morning. <laughs> Maybe she covered that. But that's where we left off yesterday. And I'd forgotten to tell you um, this little test that was done that showed the importance of teaching that self-control. Um, it's called waiting for gratification, controlling yourself, and waiting or obeying. And this study was done to some four-year-olds. They were, um, well, they didn't know how they'd been trained, but the researchers wanted to know if waiting for gratification would make a difference in the future. If these children, these four-year-olds, had learned that, would that make a difference in their future education, learning ability, success in life? I think we know the answer. But they thought they wanted to find that out. So they brought four-year-olds, one four-year-old child, into a room, and they offered them a marshmallow. They could have this yummy marshmallow or they could get two if they waited 10 minutes, just 10 minutes. And they did that. And they followed those children through their, to their high school years. And it was incredible. Every one of them that waited for that second marshmallow were leaders in school, higher academics. It is a basic, basic moral skill and academic skill, really. You're, you're teaching an academic skill of self-discipline, of that self-control. That's how important self-control are. So parents, if you're just anxious to get that book in front of your child and get them reading, remember, it takes time to teach these other things. and. Um, they're, they're wanting to learn, and that's very good, and you answer their questions, and you can do all that, but if they don't have self-control, your ability to teach is going to be very, very difficult. And I know teachers, <laughs> once they get these kids in classroom, are going to be very thankful for those children who have self-control. So I read a little... Um, exercise that some parents did. He, I think the father was a teacher. And he realized his five-year-old had big trouble with um, what we'll call it self-control. She couldn't sit very long. Now, we all say they'll grow out of it. But he knew that's something you can teach. 
And so, since he was a teacher and he wanted his daughter to succeed in the classroom and learning and school, he thought, well, I'll teach her to sit and finish what she's doing, whether it's playing, with building something. You know, kids can get very frustrated and just give up and go on to the next play activity or whatever, or puzzle, whatever. So he sat down, he sat his daughter down, and he told her that he wanted her to color this picture carefully. She had lots of time. She had 20 minutes to color this picture. He wanted her to try to stay in the lines and do a good job. And she just raced through it, out of the lines, done. And he said, well, let me give you another picture. You need to carefully, and the timer's not off, you need to carefully color this picture. She went through about four pictures and finally realized, well, the timer has not gone off yet. I might as well take my time and do this right, or he's going to give me another picture to do. And when she got to school, it was incredible. Her teachers said, wow, we're just amazed. Your daughter sits and she listens and waits. And it was something that could be taught. Children don't just sort of grow up, become self-disciplined and controlled. It doesn't happen. We can nurture that. So. I just want to share those two stories. I thought those were incredible stories. And we know from the spirit of prophecy that self-control, self-government is very important. And this was an outstanding sentence in Desire of Ages that I have been pondering ever since I've been studying this. At a very early age, Jesus began to act for himself in the formation of his character. That's it. That's what we want to implant in our children. Of course, we need that in our hearts. (laughs) But God knows we're all learning, parents, teachers, and children. Um, And so I just hope as we go continue to go through the life of Jesus, you'll see how his life implanted the ability to do this. And the next area I wanted to look at was the work. But before I went to the work area, I know I have some slides on school, but it is in working that we learn this discipline. We learn this desire to um, to be useful and helpful. And I think that's God's, I know that's God's plan, that it's in working. And we'll, I'll go there just in about five minutes. But now I want to go back to the thought, we know Jesus did not go to school. Um, but we have schools. So my question is, and I think you all know the answer, should we not have schools? Yesterday, Mr. Montag said, we have counsel that if there's six children in a church, we need to provide school for them. Wow. I just read that recently, and I'm a a homeschooled mom from way back. And I thought, well, that's true. For those parents who, for whatever reasons, can't provide that, the church needs to provide that. 
Um, so we do need schools. Well, what kind of schools? And I don't know, Beatrice, if you mentioned this. Okay. So I'll ask you all, what do we look for in those schools? Yes. That's it. And like there was one other phrase, like the schools of the prophets. We have that council, and I have those um, quotes on here, but I, I see I'm going to be skipping those. <laughs> that they need to look more and more like the schools of the prophets. So maybe Beecher has suggested to you, go read that chapter in Patriarchs and Prophets that describes what the schools of the prophets did. I looked at it. Oh, it's a good read. Just reread it and reread it. Um, it's so basic. And when the schools of the prophets were established, it was because it was a great need in Israel. I mean, it looked pretty bad. This was during Ahab. No, not Ahab's time. I guess Samuel established it. But it's still, Israel really needed, the parents needed help because they weren't doing their job. So we do need schools. And um, the reason we need schools, I wanted to look at that. I don't know if Beatrice covered that. Um, I was going to look at the schools the way they were in Jesus' time, just briefly. We'll look at that later. Let me see if I can pick that up. Um, yeah, I think this is the one. It said, the mind was crowded with material that was worthless to the learner. This is a description of the rabbi schools. Wow. <laughs> I've been thinking about my education. And I've been saying to my husband, OK, if you had your choice when you were educated, you were, he was a business, taking business, what would you have skipped? Is everything okay? Kinda. And he had a whole list, and I had a whole list of what I would have skipped and said, when have I ever used that? Oh. Anyway, the rabbi schools. Is there an echo? I'm just trying to get the volume up a little bit. Okay, is that better? The mind was crowded. Is that better? The mind was crowded with a material that was worthless, that would not be recognized in the higher school of the courts of above. The experience which is obtained through a personal acceptance of God's word had no place. Wow. Absorbed in the round of externals, the students found no quiet hours to spend with God. I know when my daughter was headed to college, that was my concern. I knew what it looked like. No quiet time, very noisy, noisy dorms. Where in the world would you find that total quiet time? Um, I know one academy, Fountain View Academy, has private rooms for all their students. Wow. 
Uh, you know, usually schools don't have that kind of money to get a private room. Um, so it, it's just a real challenge. But if your, your youth are being given so much homework and so much reading, how could they find time to spend with God? And they did, could not hear his voice speaking to the heart in their search after knowledge they turned away from wisdom, the source of wisdom. Well, that would be the Bible, prayer, meditation in nature. The great essentials of the service of God were neglected. So they, they didn't even know the purpose of this training. And the principles of the law were obscured. That which was regarded as superior education was the greatest hindrance to real development. Under the training of the rabbis, the powers of the youth were repressed. Their minds became cramped and narrow. They definitely were not thinkers. And there's a phrase that, was, that described Jesus when he was headed to Jerusalem. And when he came back, it said he, he wanted to ponder the reason for things. What a good desire in the heart to know, why am I here? Where am I going? What's God want me to do with my life? Those were the things Jesus was pondering at the age of 12. I have a 12-year-old grandson, and he was recently baptized a year ago. So thankful for that. But you know, I, I don't know what's going on in his mind. He's a boy. He's busy and active. And I'm sure his mommy knows he has some deep thoughts. I'm sure he does. But I look at the children and I think, oh, are they really pondering these things? Are they really desiring? And at 12, when Jesus realized his great work, then he went home for 18 more years. Can you imagine waiting to get on with things? I think I got a little distracted here <laughs> from my notes, but I've been pondering this overnight and just thinking um, we need divine wisdom to know how to plant those desires in the children. And God has given this simple plan. And I hope I can, we all can paint the picture and go home and read the councils there are almost complete councils in um, that website, true.education, and click on reference once you get to that website, which is Pattern Life, Pattern Education, I guess it is. Click on reference and get that large amount of counsel and carefully read it through. Um, and then God can guide you. Okay, so that's the school of the rabbis, and that's, not, that's why Jesus did not go. And when he arrived in Jerusalem, we all know the story. At the age of 12, the rabbis were just, their mouths just, I'm sure, dropped open, and they're saying, wow, we never thought of these things. Why didn't we see it? Why? And, and yet, Jesus was not proud in any way. If he had showed a 
disdain and a disrespect, they wouldn't have hurt him for one moment. But because he was respectful. Now, wouldn't it be hard to be respectful when they didn't get it and you did and you're only 12? <laughs> he was respectful to them. And of course, we know God gave them the opportunity that through the youthfulness of Jesus and his very respectful attitude, it would start thoughts in their minds. And I know that's what our children can do if we teach them these things. Okay. Jesus' greatest joy was when he was alone. It was a very lonely life for Jesus. When you read his life, nobody understood. Nobody. His mother didn't understand. Nobody understood. Even John the Baptist didn't understand. When he grew up, he wasn't communicating with John the Baptist, but when he began his ministry, he discovered even John didn't understand. And um, in his loneliness, he turned to the Lord. And sometimes that's a good thing. You know, in your loneliness, you are driven to the Lord if you realize where your source of help is. And so that was his greatest happiness. And I asked the question, do your children find happiness in nature? Do they enjoy being outside, just playing alone? Or do they always want friends around and excitement? And um, one of my grandchildren, a middle child, and I think that's often characteristic of a middle child, wants to be alone. <laughs> he loves to be alone, right? Um, and he's the one that said to me one day, Grandma, do you like to play in dirt? <laughs> I said, no, honey, I've, I've never played in dirt, but you think it's fun? Oh, I love dirt. He even took dirt from my house to his house. I guess he thought my dirt was super dirt. He carried it in a bag to his house. And he plays in dirt, and his brothers do too, but he does. You know, it's just amazing if your children have land around them, they have water and a creek and things to grow outside, they will learn to enjoy it and be satisfied. And then if parent or teacher comes along and points out those lessons and asks them those questions in nature, it starts the flow of their thoughts and they start to see those things. So nature is wonderful and we know that Jesus was studying nature, but he had a reason for studying nature. Do you know what that reason was? I don't see any hands or any he wanted, well, first of all, he wanted to understand why things worked as they did and, and understand, but he wanted to take these lessons from nature to show what God was like, those things he was learning in the Bible. He was wanting to relate them. And we know because he was looking for that, that in his ministry, he made his teachings so simple and so interesting. So we parents need to be praying for that, that we will see those lessons in nature. 
So, and, and help our children to know how to do that. I think I have a quote on that. Well, I don't, but um, we need to pray for that. I've started praying. I've gone for a walk, and I'm just chucking along. And I've started praying, Lord, help me to just think of some of those lessons in nature, and, and they'll pop in my head. And, and I'll think of that, and you keep your mind on the Lord, and then you can share those things. And the other thing we know is that Jesus spent much time studying Scripture, because, again, when he arrived in Jerusalem, he knew Scripture very well. And I'll have to confess something publicly here, that it's easier to read the spirit of prophecy than the Bible. Is that true or false? So I have been a little um, negligent in that, and... I have asked the Lord to really help me with that. And I know that the spirit of prophecy quotes extensively from the Bible. And so I have looked up every text that's referred to in the spirit of prophecy, and it gets you back into the Bible. And I'm amazed at um, the knowledge that Mrs. White had of the Bible. And that's how I got back into the Bible. But Jesus didn't have the spirit of prophecy. He had the Hebrew writings, and I am just amazed that he could read Psalms and Isaiah and some of those more difficult books, and he would understand those. And just this morning, I thought, you know, the one chapter in Isaiah at age 12, Jesus knew very well, because it was about him, was Isaiah 53. And if you were a 12-year-old and you read Isaiah 53, it would be pretty hard to, to, to study that and look at that and ponder that. And he understood that, the ability that God can give our children, I believe, to understand these harder things. To, well, recently I memorized Isaiah 53 and it was life-changing, absolutely life-changing. Do you all know what Isaiah 53 is? It's the servant's song. It's, it describes he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for his peace is upon us. And when I read that, in memorizing it, I had to reread, reread, reread. Every time I cried, it's just, it, it's life-changing. And I had read the thought. Mrs. White tells us many things to memorize. So I've been keeping a record and slowly working my way through these lists to memorize. But when you memorize something, it's in your mind. You can reread and reread and reread. <laughs> well, it's nothing like memorizing. Nothing. I was amazed with Vicky. I don't know if Vicky's here today yet. Oh, yeah. That it was just rolling out the things she was saying. It's in your mind. This little phrase, this little phrase, you'll hear something say, oh, yeah, I remember that phrase is in that text. 
And I would emphasize, it's the hardest thing to do in devotion time is to memorize. I always resist it every morning. But well worth it. The thoughts that start to flow when you memorize start with Isaiah 53. And that's what Jesus knew. He knew Isaiah 53 at the age 12. And he knew that he knew exactly how many years, how many days, how many hours until he would be that sacrifice. Wow. And he joyfully returned home and submitted to his parents and served others. Okay, here's a promise for the youth. The Holy Spirit loves to address the youth. Let me find it here so I don't get an echo. The Holy Spirit loves to address the youth and to discover to them the treasures and beauties of God's Word. The promises spoken by the great teacher will captivate the senses and animate the soul with spiritual power that's divine. There will grow in the fruitful mind a familiarity with divine things that will be as a barricade against temptation. Boy, we need that. We need a barricade. The words of truth will grow in importance and assume a breadth and fullness of meaning of which we have never dreamed. The beauty and riches of the word have a transforming influence on mind and character. What a promise for our children. And then the next one, I'll give you, yeah. The appreciation of the Bible grows with its study. That's good news. Whichever way the student may turn, he will find displayed infinite wisdom and love of God. And the angels will draw near, our minds will be strengthened, characters will be elevated, refined, we shall become like our Savior. And as we behold the beautiful and grand in nature, our affections go out after God. While the spirit is awed, the soul is invigorated by coming in contact with the infinite through his works. Communion with God through prayer develops the mental and moral faculties. So that said mental, that's ability to learn, right? Moral, that's character development. And the spiritual power strengthen as we cultivate thoughts on spiritual things. Wow. We all know that, I'm sure. But again, it's that busyness of our lives and all those distractions. We just have to prayerfully day, daily ask the Lord to help us to see what is distracting. And I've been praying a prayer recently. Um, I know every day I want to open my heart to the Lord's Spirit. But I read this word picture that Mrs. White described. She has all kinds of word pictures. I love them. And she says, we can't get the door of our heart open for the rubbish that's in front of it. <laughs> and I just picture this rubbish, and we're trying to get the door open. So I've been doing a study on, OK, what's this rubbish? And found some things, you know, pride. I know I don't need to learn this. That's one thing, or 
getting stuck there, but other rubbish is maybe, you know, our thoughts about others. That's one she mentions. And so when I ask the Lord to open the door of my heart to him, I just pray, okay, Lord, show me what's in front of the heart, what's in the way today or right now as you're dealing with a child or or you're in conflict or whatever. Is there anything in the way? It's a word picture. And you might try that same exercise and teach your children that. You know, how's your heart, honey? You know, is there anything on your heart? Um, I keep going away from my notes, but um, I had listened recently to some tapes by the Rain family. I don't know if any of you have listened to anything by the Rain family. They, they're with Restoration International. And their tapes were connecting, oh, what was it? <laughs> the connected family. So mom and dad are connected, and we're all connected to God. We're all connected, God, children, parents. And in that, they mentioned parents get comfortable and children get comfortable to being asked, how's it going with the Lord? Get Help your children to get comfortable with you asking them. You know, at the end of the day, is there anything on your heart, honey, that, you know, that's kind of bothering you? What a beautiful question. Is there anything I did? You know, is everything all right between us? Just that one-on-one -on -one question with your child and making sure that there's no hidden, uh, just a little, um, what's the word, resentment there of how you handle something, um, to be assessing our hearts and parents be assessing the hearts of your children and helping them learn to be thinking of what their thoughts and feelings are in their heart and giving them to the Lord. Okay, try to move on here. I do have a question. Do some of your parents have answers to how to help those little ones have a quiet time with the Lord when mommy's having quiet time if they've awakened? Because that's often a challenge. Mommy has this nice quiet time and then she hears a noise from the bedroom these little footsteps. And I remember, well, as I've had grandkids overnight, and I'll hear them get up, I'll think, oh, no, and think, oh, what a way to meet them. You know, anger that <laughs> they got out of bed at grandma's. They're so excited to see grandma. And I think, oh, no. And so, <laughs> oh, yes. OK. So it's been suggested for those who aren't here that this mother uses felts. For the youngest, you have them play with felts during their quiet time? Wow. So have a picture from the Bible books, like my Bible friends, that they're copying to make this picture. What a wonderful idea. There was another idea I heard from the Rains. Give full credit to them. They had their children listen to songs memory verse songs. And I would highly recommend a series, it's a three-year series of memory verse songs that go along with my Bible first 
lessons. I've been using them in the primary division, memorizing them myself, and they really did a good job of matching words with music. Sometimes that doesn't always happen with scripture songs, and it's a little harder to sing it. Um, but that was something that you can do with those little ones, have them listen to a tape while mommy has quiet time, and maybe set a timer. When the timer goes off, then I'll come in, maybe we can talk about what they heard. Or um, Carrie, maybe you had something as a teacher. Of my children, my... my well, of your children. Okay, what did you do during your own quiet time? Oh, my, when I'm only having you're having quiet time. Right, right. So you're saying, to repeat for those who aren't here, that um, it is important to transition that child as they're growing and when they awaken to realize mommy's having quiet time and now this could be your quiet time and to learn to that learn to pray. I would say to pray first thing when you awaken, to pray to Jesus. Um, I know my grandsons share a bedroom. I probably, your families have children that share bedrooms. Um, and I don't know what my daughter does with that. I was thinking of that. You know, you have four rooms and five kids. So how do you, but Give that some thought, because you want to plant that thought in the children's mind. They want to have their own time with Jesus. Then he'll speak to them. Uh, so we've given you two ideas, felts and listening um, to songs. And Carrie is saying here to just involve them when they awaken with what you're reading. Read to them something simple, appropriate. Okay. But it's very important. Okay, so I mentioned here that Jesus was trying to understand the things, the reason for things, and the result of this foundation that was laid in his life is what we see when he was in ministry. It's just he loved the Lord, he wanted to bless others and share what he'd been learning and experiencing. And I hope that you understand that that's a, that foundation takes time. Don't rush those early years and get caught up with thinking you've got to take the children to this activity and that activity. I did it. I was part of a homeschooling group. It's so tempting. I'm not saying don't be a part. You need support. But more and more we started pulling back because we were just racing here and racing there. And we always enjoyed the days we just stayed at home. Um, it just takes time to really to train your children to learn these habits for a lifetime. Okay, so I only have five minutes here. Why? Well, look here. Okay, if I have five minutes, I got to get to the work section because your children are mommy's little helpers. You're a team, and this is your work crew. <laughs> and when, I, when my daughter was two, I got arthritis. My older daughter was five. And so, of course, I c couldn't work as easily. I got very tired, needed naps, ached, and my children started becoming my little helpers. 
which was a blessing, but I recently realized that one of my daughters really had to struggle with resentment that mommy wasn't in good health and able to to do activities and, and those fun things and be active, and she was stuck, you know, caring for the home. She never showed that. She was a very willing helper, but in looking back on her life, she thanked the Lord that he helped her through that, and she is a real caretaker today as a result. So. We don't have perfect bodies. We don't have perfect homes. We don't have perfect children. <laughs> we don't have anything perfect in this world. So that road, you know, to heaven is, is, has all types of detours, but those detours can become blessings. And this work, opportunity for your children, that is how you train them to be little missionaries. Right. Little missionaries in the home. We call them home missionaries, right? That is how, and I read this, here it is, study, they did a study. They said, um, they, it, researchers from Toronto, Canada, Sydney, and Australia studied children who were given daily chores and those who were not. Their research po pointed towards some very interesting conclusions. Children who performed household chores showed more compassion for their siblings. Wow, I am sure moms would love to hear that. And for other family members, like poor mother, who's burdened with so much work. And even more interesting was the fact that not all chores were the same in giving that result. The kids who did family care chores, like setting the table for the family, doing the dishes for the family, instead of um, making their own bed and picking up their own clothes. That's not for the family. You know, that's kind of for yourself. But if you are doing something for the family, that, show, that showed more concern, they showed more concern for the welfare of others than the children who had only self-care responsibility, such as hanging up their own clothes. Now, isn't that incredible? That's God's plan. Work together as a team. Now, I made the mistake. We paid our kids to work for us. <laughs> mistake. Now, we wanted to have some money, and you can still pay your children to extra chores, but there are basic chores, I feel, in the home as a team, we are all going to do together. And if mommy joins in that, it's not. It can be fun. Sometimes it's not, but the end result is good. And I just, that's God's plan in the schoolroom. The same thing. It's just, as I've been studying this, <laughs> I feel like a, um, <laughs> a fountain that kind of gushes because you read this and, and finally I'm getting it, Robin Carey. <laughs> Finally saying, Lord, this makes sense. Recently, I was with my, I, I paid my grandsons to clean my house. I just, Lonnie and I just weren't getting to it. I mean, it would go a month. It looked neat, but it wasn't clean. I thought, oh, I'll pay my grandsons. They need some money for offering. And 
So I started paying one son because I knew he was a worker. But one of the other grandsons wanted to help too, and I thought, oh no, I got to train him. He's younger. Oh no. Because the other one, I could just let him clean and he'd clean. So I brought the younger one to train, and I hadn't had a good relationship with the younger one. He was the third one. He loved mommy. I was a threat. When I was around and mommy's around, he's saying, oh, you know, this lady's a threat to me here. I don't know why it worked that way. Maybe it happens. And I hadn't a good relationship with him, and I felt bad. Do you know the first week I worked with that grandson, when we got all done working together, we both felt like hugging each other. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It wasn't a forced hug from my grandson. Usually it's, come on, hug grandma. This was truly a hug. And I just said, Lord, your plan works. It, it's just incredible. It's never been the same with my grandson, and I praise the Lord for that. So did I go over that five minutes, Rob? That's fine. Okay. Um, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we want to remember these things, and it takes courage to go against the current. But you did that. Your son did that. And if he did it, we know that you'll give us power to do it. That's what we want to do, is just to do what your will is for the education of our children so we can finish the work. We can go home and be with you forever. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.